All right, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, do we have any uh, women's soccer fans out there? Okay, not many. All right. How about tennis fans? Next week, Wimbledon breakfast? Less of that. Do we have any Kansas City fans in the room? Okay. Maybe it's just early, right? Well, here's the reality. I don't know if you've ever sensed something going on beyond what you might be able to see. Have you ever had a sense that maybe there's more going on around you? You can't see it, you can't taste it, you can't smell it, you can't touch it, but you can sense something's happening around you. And and sometimes you wonder that you're bumping up against it. I had one of these moments a few days ago where I knew there was something more going on than I could really put my finger on. I had an emergency meeting that one of my colleagues put on my schedule. And when that happens, sometimes you just kind of get that gut, uh, uh, that pit in your stomach feel, you know what I'm talking about? Well, they had to get on my schedule, they had to get on immediately, and I didn't know about it until that morning, it had to be this 30-minute meeting. And this colleague sat in my office and said, hey, here's the deal, I've been praying all night. Now, usually that feels really good, like, great, you've been praying all night, but it was one of those moments like, hey, I've been praying and there's something up. And they didn't come with accusation, they just said this, I've had this sense that you are distancing yourself from me. I've had this sense that you've had enough of me as a person and as a leader, and I've had a sense that you no longer want me on your team. And I said, how long has this been going on? This person said, it's been going on the past two days and it's been really intense, and I've had this accusation after accusation against you in my mind. And it was in that moment I thought, there is something going on behind the scenes that we need to name, and I'm so thankful for this colleague, Mature, and bring it to my attention. But what was interesting is over that same course of two days, I too had been feeling about this person that they were distancing themselves from me, and that they were done with me as a leader, and they no longer wanted to be on my team, and there was accusations in my mind against this person. And what we realized is in that moment when we had taken the things that were hidden and we brought them into the light, we recognized that there was more going on behind the scenes and it was actually a spiritual battle. There was spiritual resistance happening, by the way, not very creative, because the strategy was the same for each person. There was something telling that person, hey, I'm done with you, I don't wanna be on your team. Hey. You're done with them. They don't want to be on your team. Do you see what I mean? The thing was, there was a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. And and we knew in that moment, we had declared it because when you leave things unnamed, when you leave things hidden, they can reign and rule over you. But when you bring things out of hiding into the light, it's actually your first step to reign and rule over that. So we're moving into the latter part of Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians for a while, haven't we? And actually, the the portion of the section that we're jumping into, uh, uh, it begins this way. Finally. Finally, brothers. It it, it starts finally. So we know we're at the end of the section. And it's this picture of spiritual battle that is incredibly real. See, there's an invisible forces at play in our lives, in our systems, in our world, in our cosmos, that... If we rightly understand those things, it makes better sense of our reality. Just like it did with my colleague and I, we began to understand there was more that was taking place. 
And as we explore this last section in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, uh, what we'll do is we'll address matters of spiritual resistance, of spiritual battle. We may even use warfare language. You may have heard that term, spiritual warfare, and how it is that God actually calls us to band together, not be isolated, how he asks us to pray for one another, how he actually says, stand firm, and then he says, suit up with the whole armor of God. You may be aware of this passage, but for eight weeks, we're going to suit up together and learn what it is to be in the battle. So whether you believe it or not, you're in a spiritual battle. If you're breathing breath, you're set in the context of a battle. Well, Ephesians helps us to get our bearings for resisting and overcoming this resistance that is all too real to us. And make no mistake, this spiritual battle, it actually impacts every one of us. And so as we continue to grow in prayer, did you know that God actually wants us to be great at prayer? How many of you feel like you're great at prayer? Come on. Nobody raised their hand. How many of you like you're good at prayer? Prayer is kind of your thing. Okay, a couple of you raise your hand. God wants us to be able to be great at prayer. He's given us this thing where we can communicate with him. Hey, I want to tell you something. I feel like I'm good at prayer. Now, I can grow in prayer. He also wants us to grow in Holy Spirit. And we've been growing around what it means to have Holy Spirit in our lives. How many of you are acquainted with Holy Spirit in your life? Okay, that is awesome. Love that. By the way, if you're acquainted with Holy Spirit, he's the one that teaches you to pray. So uh, you, you guys aren't giving yourselves enough credit. I know that you're really good at prayer. And God's teaching us how to have deeper relationships. And we're learning how to seize the spiritual opportunities that are unfolding all around us, but here's the reality. As we grow in those things, there is going to be resistance. And here's the great news. The great news is we have a king, his name is Jesus, and he has conquered, and then he's also said, we are more than conquerors. So that is our position. We are already on the winning side. We are victors, not victims. We have conquered with him. We are no longer conquered. So C.S. Lewis says it this way, and put it up on the screen. There are two equal and, a, and opposite errors into which our race can fall uh, about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased at both errors and hail a materialist or magician with the same delight. You see, there is an evil force now, I know some folks actually have difficulty believing there is evil, but if you just look around the global landscape or you look at our national news, it's not hard to just see that there's stuff at play that's not cool. It's not cool. Well, this devil talked about with C.S. Lewis, he's also known and described as many things. Let me just read us through a few of those things. Uh, he is called Satan. You've probably heard that, that terminology, or Lucifer. He's a fallen angel. He's the evil one. He's the prince of the power of this air. He's the god of this world, small g. He's the tempter. He's the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the deceiver. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He's the prince of darkness. He's the great counterfeiter. He's actually a thief. He's an organizer of the demons and the falling angels. 
He's actually quite organization. Organiz, uh, he's actually um, organized with principalities and powers in heavenly places. He's quite organized. He's got rank and file with the demons. And he's a spiritual being, now hear this, who's hell-bent on his agenda in our physical world to thwart you, to thwart me, to thwart God, to thwart his kingdom, God's kingdom. And he's been recognized throughout millennia, whether it was the Protestants the denominationalists, the Catholics. And we want to say at the beginning and the onset of this series, the battle is real. There is something set against us. There is more going on. But we also want to say that we are victors because of Jesus' doing. And we can be on the victory side, but we must fight. We have to suit up, and God has given us the things to help us suit up in this physical world. So we, we live in a physical world, but we're not just physical beings. We're actually spiritual beings. Yes, we, we see and we taste and we smell and we hear and we move about in a very physical way, but make no mistake, at the core, we're actually spiritual beings. We're made in the image of a spiritual God. We're made in his likeness. Here's what Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15 say to us. And you were dead spiritually in your trespasses, talking about sin, the wrong in our life. But God made alive spiritually together with him. He disarmed the rulers and authorities of darkness and he put uh, them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. So he, what he's saying to these folks, and it applies to us, is there is a point when we come into the world, we are actually spiritual, but we're spiritually dead. We're not alive to God. But that in the cross and what God has done for us, he makes us spiritually alive. And that in the cross, God has triumphed over these powers of darkness once and for all. And he's made us a conqueror. Now, now know this. The evil one does not like to be exposed for his tactics. He does not want us to know the things that are going on. Matter of fact, even in this very moment, look at 2 Corinthians Chapter four, verse four with me. The God of this world, talking about this Satan, this devil, this evil one, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He is dead set against us hearing and seeing who God is on our behalf. He does not want us to know that we can be on the victory side. He does not want us to know that this Jesus came from the Father, lived a perfect life, went to a cruel cross on your behalf and my behalf. He died, shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. He was buried and then he rose again from the third day. He is alive today and he intercedes on our behalf. The evil one does not want us to know that victory for our lives personally or for our city or for our family or for our generation or the generations to come. He wants to make that an extinct message. Were you able to hear that this morning? A couple of you. So if you don't know if you're on the victory side, God wants us to be able to come alive spiritually. And the way that that can happen is actually, here's what, here's what God says in his word, that he that has the son has life. He that does not have the son of God does not have life. 
And the way that I can have the son is I invite him into my life and it's, it is actually quite simple. You can put all the words up on the screen. There's a sorry, there's a thank you, and there's a please. And I share this with you because if you're talking to somebody else about the goodness of who God is and how to know him and be on the victory side, how to be out of darkness and in the light, it's quite simple to lead somebody or if you're that person today where you can say, God, I'm just sorry for the stuff in my life that keeps me from you. And God, thank you that you sent your son who died on my place, was buried and rose again from the dead. And would you please come into my life and rescue me? And maybe that's you this morning. Or maybe that's something you want to remind yourself of. Or maybe it's something you want to remind your children of. Or maybe it's something that you'd have the opportunity with a dear friend to just introduce them into sorry, thank you, and please. Because once you're on that victory side, does it get easier? Not necessarily, because now all of a sudden you're more aware that there's a battle going on. So, so once you're on that victory side and you have Jesus in your life and you have the Holy Spirit leading you, you're now more aware that, wow, there's a battle going on and there's temptation. I feel like I'm being lied to. And I thought life was supposed to be easier now that I'm a Christian, now that I have God in my life. And in fact, you might be experiencing spiritual battle if some of these things are happening. For instance, intimidation and fear. It's the type that pressures you to stop moving in the direction that God reveals for your life, for your family, for service, and it actually lands in a I can't kind of place where you feel powerless, maybe even hopeless. And here's what God says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So in other words, why should I say I can't when God says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Philippians 4.13. Or you might be experiencing spiritual battle if you have unexplained negative events happening in your life. And it could be in areas of health, it could be in areas of relationship, it could be in areas of finance. Now it could be that it's just normal stuff, it's just normal physical life stuff or, or just bad choices. So what we're not saying is the devil made me do it or there's the devil under every rock. But if I can't stop putting stuff into my mouth in terms of food, what's gonna happen to me? Anybody know? You gain weight. Yeah, I, was, I, I need the secret. What's going to happen, right? I, I'm learning to do pushaways. That, that's just a bad decision. I can't say, oh, hey, the, the devil made me do that. Uh, I, I love to eat. You might notice that, right? I'm a professional eater. It's one of the things that I get tempted about. Or, or if I just can't handle spending and I'm spending my money, no, no, I, I can't look at that as a negative event in my life. Sometimes it's just bad choices. Well, maybe you're experiencing spiritual battle when there's an accusation or condemnation toward God, towards others, just like I talked about that story of one with my colleague, where there's this persistent accusation against me and it's negative and it's condemning and it's shameful and it says you aren't this and you aren't that. But it's just persistent. It actually becomes crippling. In Revelation 12.10, here's how the evil one is described. He is described as the accuser that accuses us before God day and night. So it wouldn't be surprised if we, too, are accused in our minds and in our emotions on a regular basis. But, but here's what God says. There's no condemnation 
to those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you're on the victory side, you've said, sorry, thank you, and please, and invited Jesus into your life. He says, hey, now there is no condemnation. In a moment, we'll talk about how can we extinguish those fiery darts that come at us in terms of that condemnation. Well, you also might be experiencing spiritual battle if there's intense temptation. Just beyond the normal struggle. I mean, we all struggle. But when there's an intense season where temptation is just in front of us, it tempts us and draws us into things that we just know aren't the desire of God for us. Well, another way might be discouragement and confusion. When discouragement and confusion or accusation and condemnation or these unheard of negative events, when these things start popping up, they're like the, the dash lights that pop for our life. They're like the, the orange flag that gets thrown at the game. They're like, if you like soccer, which many of you don't, I guess, it's like that yellow card that gets pulled out. Hey, an offense is happening. The battle is real. And it's time for us to suit up. Well, Jesus knew that there was more going on. He was actually talking to some religious leaders in Matthew 16. Let me read it to you. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, could you imagine if you're Peter and you're having this conversation and Jesus is telling you something really serious and then you want to weigh in and say, okay, Jesus, here's how it really is. And then Jesus points to you and says, get, me, uh, get behind me, Satan. I mean, how would you feel? Well, here Jesus had eyes to see that this is not actually Peter. This is the evil one through Peter rebuking Jesus. Have you ever had those moments where you just had these thoughts and they get dropped in your mind in first person and you actually think that they're your thoughts? Is it possible that evil could be dropping some of these thoughts in and they're all too familiar in the first person and it's not actually your thought? You ever had that thought? You're like, where in the world does that thought come from? I, I, don't, I don't have those thoughts. I actually have, had that happen as I was laying in bed last night. I had all these fleeting thoughts come through my mind. I'm like, where in the world is this coming from? Oh, there's more going on here. I was paying attention that the evil one is beginning to accuse and he's beginning to stir things up. Well, here's what Jesus says in John 10. John 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and, and, and kill and destroy, but Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to, that you might have it abundantly. So he's actually outing what the devil does. He's a thief, and his agenda is to steal, is to kill, is to destroy. I mean, he, he wants to steal the relationship in our lives. He, he wants to kill the harmony and unity I have with my spouse and my children and my neighbors and my coworkers. And he really just wants to destroy the kind of life that God has for us. And he's outing the evil one's schemes. And he's saying, hey, I actually want life for you. I, I want it to be abundant for you. And here's what the devil doesn't do. He doesn't play by the rules. 
He takes what's not his. He prounces around with hate. He attacks you. He attacks me. He attacks our marriages. He attacks our families. He attacks our friendships. He attacks our work. He attacks our community. He attacks our service. He attacks our church. But remember the good news at the cross with the empty grave. The battle's already been won. And Jesus is on the victory side, and we are on the victory side with him, and he says that we're more than conquerors. Can we get an amen to that? That is true. Here's the reality. We're in a battle. It's against a real enemy. But we're on the victory side, and we're conquerors. But we still must fight. We must learn to stand strong, and we do so by suiting up. So I just want to bring us to Ephesians 6, and we're going to put it on the screen here, and I'm just going to read out of the scriptures for us this morning. And remember, this is the Apostle Paul who's writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, and when we say the word church, Jesus used the word ecclesia, so ecclesia or ecclesiastical, and it actually means the called out ones. Jesus, when he said church, didn't mean a building, a place, an address, an organization. He was talking about a people. So, so we are the ecclesia, we are the people of God, we are the church. And so he writes this letter to this people in this place called Ephesus, and he wants them to know what it looks like to be a Christian and to follow God, and then he concludes with, you are in a battle, and you need to arm yourselves together, and that's where we find ourselves in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the devil and his schemes. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It's a pretty strong portion of scripture Uh, that he actually is bringing our attention right out of the gate. There's something that is not explicitly said, but explicitly understood in their context. When he says, finally, be strong, there's a you understood in that context. And the you there is actually plural. When I read this from my Western cultural understanding, I read it in the individual J, you suit up. And while that's true, it's not written that way. It's written as you, church, the community of disciples, the ecclesia, the called out ones, those that name the name of Jesus, together circle up and stand in the power of his might. Together, put on the whole armor of God. Together, step into the battle. Band together for one another. And he actually goes on to explain that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, which means my spouse is not my enemy. 
My parents are not my enemy. My children aren't my enemy. My siblings aren't my enemy. The neighbor that drives me nuts is not my enemy. My coworker, which I can't stand, is not my enemy. In fact, my enemies are not my enemy because I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. In fact, Jesus tells us for our enemies to actually love them and pray for them. He tells us who our enemy is. It's those spiritual heavenly places and forces led by the devil himself who is real. By the way, I believe the unseen realm personally is the greater of the two in which we live. We just don't have eyes to see it because we haven't trained ourselves to be in the battle and to see what's actually going on behind the scenes. And so what God does is he actually gives us countermeasures to the schemes of the evil one so we can stand firm. He actually says stand four times. He uses the word all seven times. And he's trying to get us at this thing. Hey, do everything you can to stand firm. And by the way, it's not individual. It's collective. We circle up together and we do all that we can to make this happen. Why? Because we're on the victory side, but we still have to battle. We live in a broken world. We're broken people. We multiply our brokenness. Hurt people hurt people. But God says, hey, I've got a remedy for this. So what I'd like to do in the last minutes here is just take us through kind of a high-level view to whet our appetite. Uh, so as we go into the series, we actually can see what's going on. We can see where we might be vulnerable. And by the way, he doesn't say, hey, pick your favorite piece and put that on. He actually says, put the whole thing on, because if you don't put the whole thing on, you'll leave yourselves extremely vulnerable. That's why he tells us a number of times, put the whole thing on. So I want to show you a grid here that will help us walk through the different pieces uh, of, of the armor. So we've got the belt of truth, and it's actually the most important piece, because it holds together the whole ensemble uh, of this armor. Now realize Paul was trying to give the people of his day a metaphor, a picture that helps him understand as a memory aid that you're in a battle. So what they would see as a Roman soldier, they would see him all their lives and they would see him in every place that they go. So it was a memory aid. You're in a battle. You need to put the whole thing on and suit up. And this is something on a daily basis you need to be cognizant of. And so he runs them down through this metaphor. Now, rather than giving you a new metaphor, I think it's really easy for us to do the translation work because we are bright people. So the belt of truth keeps this whole ensemble together. Because really what Ephesians is about is God teaching us how to walk in the truth. Truth not as a mental idea alone, but truth actually as a person. Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So as we walk in the way of Jesus, in the personhood of Jesus, the way that he walked and he lived, it is part of putting on this whole ensemble. But this belt ties it all together. And our responsibility is to know the truth because the evil one wants to deceive. It is one of his schemes. Well, then this breastplate of righteousness, it really covers a sensitive place. God wants us to be pure at heart. And when we think righteousness, it's a big word. But in Corinthians, it says this, Jesus, who knew no sin, he actually became sin on our behalf that we might take on his righteousness. So God actually sees us through Jesus' righteousness as perfect and holy. That's how he sees us. But as we go about life, 
We still have the tempter who is a liar who wants to corrupt our lives. And so he presses us to have impure hearts. And the way we can protect our impure hearts is actually to take the truth and put it in motion and live out the truth that I become familiar with. So another scheme, the sandals of peace. That's the countermeasure to this opposition. So the sandals were actually obviously put on the feet. And the bottom of the sandals actually had these nailed spikes. And the intent was you could dig into the sand so you could get traction so you won't get pushed back, but actually so you could take ground. The intent was advancing. I was talking to a church leader over in Scotland, and they said, hey, we've been on decline for decades. And the higher-ups in that organization said, hey, we are going to actually just manage the decline. They felt like that was good stewardship. And one of the men actually said, look, we are not in the decline management business. We are in the business as the church of God to advance the kingdom of God. And so the sandals help us to get traction so we don't go backwards, but we can advance. And the way that we do that in our lives, day after day, the way that I can stand firm is I tell myself the good news of Jesus over my life. I preach the gospel to myself daily that Jesus died for me, he was buried for me, God sees me as righteous, and today I am on the victory side. And we tell our family that same good news, we are on the victory side, Jesus sees you as righteous, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And we advance the truth with our family, and when appropriate, we do it in our neighborhood, and we bring it to our city, because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And we are the church. Does that get you excited, people? So there's another strategy of the evil one. He wants to intimidate. And so God gives us the shield of faith. And so this is not your trash can shield. Think large door, wrapped in leather, soaked in water, because ancient warfare, what they would do is they would take fiery darts They'd take the tips dipped in tar, they'd light them on fire, and it wouldn't be just one. It'd be 500, it would be 5,000, and wave after wave, these darts would come, and you'd get down behind your door, and you'd hold up that shield, but because I don't do it alone, we're all in a line, and we're surrounded. And because it was wrapped in water, it extinguishes those fiery darts. And regularly God comes at us, or not God, the evil one comes at us with these fiery darts and they're aimed directly at us and it's not just one, it's 500, it's 1,500 and it's a barrage. It's like when you wake up in the morning and C.S. Lewis says, there's a thousand rushing horses in my head. It's designed to just intimidate so that we would cower But what's our responsibility? We believe the truth. And belief is just not an ascent in my head. It's an action. I've got to take up my shield. So July 4th and July 5th, Thursday, Friday, my family's out of town. I missed them. But I was so glad they were gone. Don't don't tell my wife. She's not here. She'll see this. Now, she knows. I actually spent those two entire days putting up my shield of faith and just spending time with the Father and letting him remind me who he says I am. 
Because when we get to the next thing, this doubt on the helmet of salvation, the helmet isn't just this pretty piece that we put on top of our heads. It protects our minds because that is where the death blow can come. And the death blow comes at the place of identity for a lot of us. So when you're on the battlefield and you see a particular helmet, you know which side somebody is on by the helmet that they have. Make sense? So the helmet of salvation, we put it on to protect our minds, but salvation is deliverance, it's recovery, it's that God says we're on the winning side. And what the evil one does is he comes against us with doubt and he wants us to doubt our doubts. Uh, he want, excuse me, he wants us to doubt our beliefs. But God actually wants us to believe our beliefs and he wants us to doubt our doubts. Just like when the evil one came and said to Jesus in the wilderness, if you be the son of God, do this and that. The evil one comes at us with doubt about God. Oh, God's not really like that. He's not really good. He doesn't really know. He doesn't really care about you. God's actually holding out on you. Or look, you blew it. You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a follower of God. That's not what a follower of God does. And so we put this helmet of salvation on daily. We strap it tight and we hold fast to the truth that we are on the winning side. I'm identified with God. And he rescues me today and will rescue me tomorrow because that's who he is. Well, then there's the sword of the spirit. It's the only offensive weapon that we have. And when he says it's the word of God, the word there for word of God is not just written. It's the word rhema. It's spoken. There's an understanding here that we would know the truth deep down in our knower and that there could be recall at a moment's notice when I'm under attack, I can use the sword of the spirit, which is I am speaking the word of God. That's why God tells us to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs so that we can cut through all the confusion about our identity and about what God's doing and we can advance. Well, how do we advance? We don't do it alone. We do it together. That's why he says pray and watch. One of the greatest strategies of the evil one is division. He likes to divide and conquer. He wants us to be isolated. Rather than stepping into community, finding it or forming it, he wants to divide it. And the way that he does it is he gets us to have unresolved hurt and unforgiveness in our lives. Now, here's the deal. If you're gonna actually suit up together, and that's our charge over the next eight weeks, that we would suit up, not just personally, but collectively, what happens is when you get close to each other, that's when you can know how to pray for each other. But when we get close to each other, you know what else happens? We're broken people, and there's hurt, and things happen, and it's unintentional, but then it doesn't get resolved, and it lingers. And when it lingers, unresolved hurt and unforgiveness lingers in my life, you know what it is? It's an eight-lane highway where the evil one can just drive all his equipment right into my life and set up shop. So here's my question in close this morning. Do you have unresolved hurt in your life? I start there because it is the most common for all of us. Right before my wife left town, I got angry one night, rolled over, I haven't done this in years. And the next morning she called me on the road, she said, hey, what happened? Short accounts, so there was no unresolved, no unforgiveness, I said, I totally own it, it's not you. Matter of fact, I said, I bet you the evil one's making you think this, 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 and this, she said, yeah. I said, that's not true, it's not you, it's me. We brought it in the light and we dealt with it right in that moment. So dear friends, if you are in unresolved hurt, 
if you're in unforgiveness? How do you know? You're thinking about it right now. You're thinking about that person. Could be the spouse, could be the child. Could be somebody that's hurt you in a devastating way. What we're not saying is that that's untrue. What we are saying is you don't have to be captive behind the bars because you actually have the key and it goes like this. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess, God forgives. Confession is to say the same thing that God says, which means, God, I have been hurt. What that person did to me was devastating. I'm hurt. But what happens then is we move from the position of being a victim to the place of being a victor. God says, I forgive you. You say, God, I've been living in unforgiveness towards that person. God says, I forgive them, because that's what he does on the cross, just like I forgived you, forgave you. In Isaiah, he says he actually took our shame and our grief upon himself, and it's finished. And then what he tells us over in James is we can submit to God. God, I don't want to live in hurt any longer. I don't want to live in unforgiveness any longer. And then he says, in the power of his strength, what we can do is we can resist the evil one. He says, resist, resist the devil, and he will flee from you and his schemes. And then he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And so we invite Holy Spirit, would you come and fill that hurt place? Would you come and help me to walk in love and forgiveness? So here's the deal. If you wait until you feel like forgiving, it likely won't happen. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's actually an act of the will. It's something we choose to do. You have been hurt if you're in relationship, no doubt. But you can take that hurt to the cross. Or if you've hurt somebody, rather than multiplying your brokenness, you can actually take your hurt to the, your own brokenness to the cross and say, I want to break the cycle of how I hurt people. And God comes and he says, I, I will forgive. And then we submit to his way. So in this series, we're going to call you to suit up. But today, I want to call you to step out of unresolved hurt and unforgiveness. And if that's you this morning, the way you can do it is just confess, God, I'm hurt. God, I've been unforgiving. I choose to forgive. If that's you this morning, you can do that right where you sit. We're going to invite you to do that. If you're a part of our prayer team, I'm just going to invite you to stand up right now and move to the front. If you need help from one of our prayer partners, come on, don't be afraid. Prayer team, just come right up, okay? Maybe you say, hey, I don't know how to figure this out myself. We suit up together. We've got people ready to lock arms and to deal with the unresolved. If you need help during our song here, don't delay. Come. Or you've got people all around you. Turn to the person around you. Don't just sit in a line. Create a circle. Form community. Pray for one another in this spot. Doesn't have to be forced. It's just an opportunity. So Nick and the band, you guys come. Lead us in a song. And if you've got a nudge in your heart, you can pray in your seat. 
You can come talk to somebody. You can circle up. There's a lot of ways to do it. I just encourage you, don't bolt out of here. Do business. Suit up. It's going to be a great series.